why do we have four stories about Jesus' life? Couldn't God have just given us one? Also, a first today in Bearing Up History. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We have got a very special episode ahead for you. If you're listening right now, don't turn it off. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. Uh, Zach was looking at the outline beforehand. He's like, wow, this is one of the, this is a deep episode. This is going to be good. And uh, I can't take credit for that. But um, I'm excited for it. Zach, how are you today, man? Doing good. Yeah, and I'm very excited about our topic today and our guest. Um, we're getting into some kind of critical theory and critical analysis of scripture today. Uh, so that's going to be fun. It's going to be good. I'm excited for it. But before we get into that, Zach, I have a really big question for you. And I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know if you thought about this ahead of time. It was on the outline. Would you rather Zach have Samson's strength, but be blind? So basically Samson at the end of his life, or would you like to be able to run as fast as Elijah did after he defeated the Baal priests? but never slower. Like you could only run that fast. Now oh, okay. if you're listening to us. First Kings 18, 45 and 46 uh, is where Elijah runs, runs past King Ahab who's on his chariot with his horses. So these horses are running and they're in the rain. They're trying to get home, stay dry. These horses are running and Elijah runs past him. So he's running faster than horses. What would you rather do? Would you rather have Samson's strength, but be blind or only be able to move as fast as Elijah did after he defeated the priests of Baal? Okay, let's clarify. Move as fast or run as fast? Because run. So, <laughs> like, it was like basically, you're the Flash, but you can't slow down. <laughs> Obviously, he's not that. It wasn't that fast, but yeah. So, but like on a normal, regular basis, I could still walk, right? All right. Let's see what I wrote. Only be able to run as fast. Yeah, I put run. So yeah, I guess you could potentially walk. Okay, then that because I think right. <laughs> I think being blind would. Uh, offer a lot more significance uh, to my life than much more of a hindrance. Yeah. It's a hindrance. Um, then, you know, I'm not a runner. <laughs> I mean, I do run after my kids, so that sure. might be an issue, but, there you go. but I think being blind would probably be worse. Yeah. Although you've got the strength of, of Samson, which is kind of cool, but that's kind of, that's where I was leaning because I've always just thought that like that would be a cool superpower. And basically Samson was a superhero. When you look at some of the things he did was oh, yeah. beyond human that like it was God inspired, God given abilities that you couldn't get just working out. Right. <laughs> so it's uh, the level, but be, I say that because even for Samson, it was a bigger deal, but for us today, being blind wouldn't be such a bad handicap because we, because we are very catering to all kinds of handicaps. And I think that that would be, uh, a good give and take I would, that I would accept. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, that's, that was it, Zach. I, you handled that well. Um, but before we go any further, uh, I've got to introduce, uh, our guest for the day coming on with us today is John couch. He is a Fried Hardeman class of 2013. I believe, uh, has his degree in Bible from there. He is currently the preacher at the Newland street church of Christ here in Southern California. Uh, he is also my cousin-in-law, no, yeah, cousin-in-law, I guess is the correct term. He married my cousin, but we were also roommates at Freed Hardman for a semester, so he's more like a brother than anything. Um, but I'm glad, John, that you're all with us today. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. 
And I just want to give one slight correction. I'm one of the preachers at the oh. Newland Street Church of Christ, not the only one. Okay. Well, I appreciate that correction. Um, you know, we're just, we're so glad to have you on, man. I've, I, I, I am going to attribute all of the quality of the content today to you because we <laughs> I really just was like, you know, I, what do you want to talk about? And you've kind of taken it from there. And so I'm, yeah. I'm excited for this, but before we get into it, I do want to, we're going to have some interview questions for you. Sure. Um, I want to know your answer to the icebreaker. Um, I'm going to have to go with Zach's answer. I, okay. I, I don't think I can handle being blind. Uh, <laughs> as someone said, uh, George Costanza, uh, I can't be <laughs> blind, Jerry, the blind are courageous. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) That's a good one. Well, John, um, you know, I could, I could go into detail because we're family, but I want to just tell our guests a little bit about yourself. You know, you told you to live in California, you know, give us an intro into your personal life. So I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas and uh, went to Fried Hardeman, of course, and then met uh, my future wife there. And uh, she's from California, so the Central Valley of California, which is uh, where so so many of our uh, produce comes mm-hmm. from from that part of the country. And uh, Carissa grew up in that area, my wife, and uh, she was my foot in the door, so to speak, to a congregation up there uh, where her where she just where she grew up. And so I worked there in Visalia, the West Visalia Church of Christ, for about four years. And uh, it was an internship that was supposed to be two years. But as the preacher there says, I kind of flunked and needed to stay another couple of <laughs> years. Uh, no, I, I stayed a couple extra years, which were really wonderful. Uh, but then when the time came for, for me to move on, I, uh, I moved down here to Orange County, uh, which, if you're not aware, is... Uh, a giant city, <laughs> uh, kind of a little bit of culture shock for me, but, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, the one rule we have down here is that you don't call us LA cause we're not LA. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're South of LA. And while you may have driven through LA to get here and you never really saw the city end, we're still not LA. So <laughs> we're, we're in orange County and uh, we've got some amazing things out here, you know, the ocean and the mountains and, and just, you know, Carissa's favorite Disneyland. She loves being close to there, but uh, it's definitely a mission field as you can imagine, but mm-hmm. uh, all of the country at this point is a mission field. So yeah. um, it's, it's been a very uh, enormous blessing uh, to be the congregation I'm at right now. That's awesome. You know, Logan, you know, we, we, we said something about a first, a first in and bearing up history. And that first is that we are in three different time zones <laughs> and here in, uh, in Georgia, it is three o'clock. <laughs> so, and you know, Logan, you guys probably know that Logan's an hour behind me and you're, you're three hours behind me, right? That's right. Yeah. It's <laughs> noon for me. Wow. Well, so yeah, all from from sea to shining sea, we are today. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but we are again so glad to have you on, John. And um, you know, we we share this alma mater, you know, Freed Hardeman. So since we have that in mind, and, and and I guess that connection together is, you know, what is one of your your favorite memories from uh, Freed Hardeman? Oh, um, anything to do with. Uh, 
the group I hung out with. We called ourselves Scofo. Logan was a part <laughs> of it. And uh, the name Scofo, it comes from the words second floor. So the legend is that uh, years and years ago, uh, on one of the windows of the second floor of Pharaoh, Pharaoh Hall, uh, there was there were the words second floor and a storm came and the winds blew and the rain came and all the letters were flushed away except for the letters S-C-O-F-O. And uh, it kind of just morphed from there where the the guys who were together on that second floor started being referred to as as Scofo. And we we took that name and uh, we kind of went with it. And uh, I think my proudest accomplishment that Scofo ever achieved, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, is uh, when we won the single A basketball intramural game, uh, (laughs) championship game. And by doing that, we were very influential in stopping Phi Kappa from winning the sports trophy. Oh. <laughs> and it was the first time they had, they had lost the sports trophy uh, ever, <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> which uh, I was very proud of. And now I've got a lot of people who hate me now from Phi Kappa. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was cool. the year before I got there. Um, yeah. We've, we've told, um, we've talked about Scopo on the podcast last season. Oh, okay. Um, no, you're fine, but uh, you're a much better storyteller than I am. So, uh, no, no. Uh, our, our, the, He's those proven been that the, the story whole... has has stayed the yeah. same, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, but no, it's I, I always like it um, when we can get guys on. Um, but yeah, John. I, so the, another thing that I wanted to mention is kind of more about your work and what you're doing. Um, and you've been talking about this video series um, a little bit um, when, in our personal conversations. And I kind of want to you know, elaborate for our listeners about that. Sure. I, uh, I just started it and uh, it's on YouTube. It can be found at Newland Street Church of Christ. And it's what I've, the goal of it is to delve into the differences between the gospel accounts. So all of the differences, the nuances that are there, there's details that are left out of some accounts, and then there are details that are uh, emphasized. There are whole stories that uh, are unique to some Gospels, and then there are stories that are shared. And uh, I, I just, when I was thinking about these things, I realized that there's very little, at least when it comes to preaching, there's very little... Uh, written about this. Uh, there's certainly stuff, there's certainly books written by scholars about the synoptic problem and about, you know, what the differences are. But I felt, I feel like, uh, and when I've looked, looked this up, I feel like there's very little actually written about what we can learn from the differences. And that was kind of my emphasis. That's my focus of the video series. Uh, at, the, at the time of this recording, uh, only two of the videos are out. Um, and so I've yet to delve into some of these deep things that I might bring, that I'll be bringing up today. But in my opinion, when you look at the gospels, the gospel accounts, uh, through the lens of what can I learn from what makes this one unique? What, you know, how, what was the goal behind, uh, this author, you know? And I think when we differentiate the gospels, by that means, it, it really opens our eyes to some amazing stuff. And hopefully I'll get to share some of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to really dive into that. 
with you on, on this podcast as well t- um, today. But before we get into that, you said that you were you were one of the preachers there, and we're going, I guess this is a different direction, but um, just to learn more a little about, about you. So you have, you have a, another preacher there. Um, do you have, you know, youth ministers or anything like that? How big is the congregation there? Uh, we're not that big. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're big by Southern California standards, um, which I guess is a sad thing. Um, but I think we just, we need to stop viewing things in those terms anyway, but yeah. uh, you know, just because the, the shift of our culture, uh, uh, but anyway, we have, uh, pre-covid we had a you know a good 150 or so and uh it's it's a temporary thing right now the plan is temporary that we have uh two preachers uh the the preacher i work with is uh his name is richard shields and he's been there for 20 plus years and the plan was to bring me in and kind of uh over a period of time have him uh eventually retire and then i would take up uh so to speak, his mantle. Uh, but so far at this point in time, we're still working together. Um, and we're also in the process of relocating uh, our uh, to a new facility. So we've mm-hmm. sold our old property. It's kind of a big step. In my opinion, it's, it's a very courageous step. I'm very proud of our congregation, just how open they've uh, been to, to the need that we have to really change things up because we had a giant building that was built for 700, you know, the auditorium was built for 800, 700 people. And uh, you know, it's hard to work with a facility like that when you're trying to reach the community. And there's some other factors uh, at play as well. You know, it's it's expensive to keep such a building, uh, you know, up and running. So uh, we've, we sold the property right before COVID hit. It was kind of perfect timing, God's timing, I, I truly believe. But uh, now we're meeting with another congregation, the Ball Road Church of Christ. We're meeting in their building. Uh, and uh, we're hoping that uh, we have a I, – and I, I'm very optimistic that we have a bright future ahead of us. Uh, but we've, we've yet to uh, find a new facility at this point. Okay. Well – you know, I hope that that goes well. I hope that y'all find a, a good facility. But, you know, the reason why I ask those, because, you know, a lot of ministers, um, you know, folks that, you know, watch this show, they have a, um, you know, they're the only minister. Uh, you know, some don't even have elderships. And, you know, that's something we're trying to, to work through right now. So it's just me. Um, oh, so the, yeah. reason, the reason why I ask is, what is it like to kind of have, you know, this tag team, a, a ministry team kind of, uh, thing going on honestly i think it's the way it's meant to be <laughs> yeah jesus sent them out two by two yeah we see in the mission trips with paul he didn't go by himself uh he always had silas or uh you know luke or uh john mark right he 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 always had people with him and he was i and i really believe in that mentor role the mentor and the mentee whatever you want to call it, the yeah. person or the apprentice the padawan protégé. right yeah, yeah protege i like uh, the padawan better okay yeah mentor <laughs> and the mint <laughs> yeah. i really i really think that's that's uh, that's the way it's meant to be and it's sad that in the united states we've really fallen away from that we've we've gotten to this idea that the preachers the quarterback and mm-hmm. the, Menace, you know the the church itself just kind of 
lets him do the work yeah. <laughs> a lot of the times, you know. Uh, so the I, I I do feel that we uh, we need to change the way we do things in America, uh, and I, I do think that change is coming uh, because as well, I don't know if we need to get into all this, but as <laughs> this uh, as this country turns more and more against Christianity, we're, we're going to be forced out of some of our silliness. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we're going to be forced to circle the wagons, so to speak. And yeah. uh, I know I'm, I'm hopeful about what we're doing over here because in all honesty, we're feeling the heat of it more in California and Southern California than we, than you probably are at this point, but it's the change is coming anyway uh, to everyone. And uh, so uh, I think I, I've been so, so blessed. I've never had to be a preacher by myself, never had to go without eldership. And um, I have high respect for ministers who do that because I don't know if I could. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that, you know, we're excited to get into this other uh, part here. Uh, but before we do, why don't we take a break? Thank you so much for watching with us today. Uh, don't forget that our Teespring shop is closing on March 31st. Um, starting today, or really, I, I don't know if Zach did it early, but at least today, uh, we're going to be having uh, a sale on there. So go ahead and check that out uh, before that goes away. Uh, and then we have a big announcement Thursday, April the 1st. So don't miss that episode. Huge announcement coming about the future of the podcast. And we hope you can join us then. Well, welcome back. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, we're going to start diving really into the discussion now. We kept, I wanted to keep that interview portion short. Uh, because I'm really excited for what we're talking about today, and I don't want to take any time away from anything that John has or anything that Zach might have either. But I feel slightly underprepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. It's you're a preacher. You, you're you'll be fine. You'll be fine. All right. Um, <laughs> Cri- critical um, scholarship is something I'm a little bit removed from. <laughs> but, uh, It'll come to you as as it flows. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but you know, we teased it in the beginning, and John, you talked about it a little bit about the, uh, why do we have four gospels? And, um, you know, there's a simple answer that if my, my daughter's three, you know, when she's five, six, if she comes up to me and asks me that question, I have a simple answer I can give her. Um, but sometimes, you know, that's, that's not always the best solution, you know, because not everybody's a five, six year old. Um, there are people. So for example, when I was a child, if somebody were to tell me two plus two is four, I'd say, great works for me. Knock it off. My brother's totally different. My brother who's been on here, if you tell him two plus two is four, he wants you to prove it and he wants you to show, he wants you to tell him why. Um, there's people like that. And that's why we need to talk about things like this because those are the people who say there's four gospels and there might be a little bit of a discrepancy, done, pull Bibles out. And if we aren't able to accurately explain to them the situation and you know why this is the way it is, then then you lose those people and those critical thinkers who could be so powerful for the kingdom. So anyway, there's the teaser. But John, you know, kind of, you know, I've, I've, we've got a list on the uh, on the outline. But you can take this. I'm going to turn it over to you. You take this wherever you want. Zach and Zach and I will jump in every now and again. Um, but you know, the first thing I kind of had on there is like, you know, there's there's a lot of theories. So kind of let's let's talk about some of those. Right. So in talking about the similarities between the Gospels and the differences between the Gospels, you're inevitably going to run into what's called the synoptic problem. Sure. Right. That's what it's called. And uh, just just to give a brief overview of what that is, think of the word synonym, uh, how two words uh, that are different, 
but mean the same thing. So let's just think of that as, as a way to kind of plug into what the synoptic problem is. Um, the idea is that the first three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we call the synoptic gospels. And what that means is that they are extremely similar when you compare them and when you contrast them to John. So the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, ha- they share a lot of the same stories. They share a lot of the same ordering of those stories. They even share direct quotations, and I don't just mean uh, what Jesus said, but the narrators actually have direct quotations that they share. And uh, whereas John is very different, most of the stories in John are unique to John, whereas in, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's a lot more complex. There's, uh, most of their stories are shared between all three of them. And then you've got about a fifth of Matthew, which is unique. The fifth, a fifth of the stories of Matthew are unique only in Matthew and about a third of John, uh, sorry, a third of Luke, uh, a third of the stories found in Luke are unique to Luke. But uh, Mark is the interesting one because you can practically count uh, its unique stories on one hand. It has very few stories that you can, that are only found in Mark. And uh, so that, that, and there's also uh, stories that are only shared between Matthew and Mark. There are stories only shared between Matthew and Luke, stories only shared between Luke and Mark, right? So it's this puzzle that has confounded people over the years. It's, it's like a professor who has assigned a, uh, a paper to be read, uh, or excuse me, a paper to be written by his class. And uh, as he's grading the papers, he notices three of them are very similar, and he has to pull them aside. And I'm not saying that the gospel writers cheated or anything, but uh, (laughs) yeah, there's a sense in which if this were a professor looking at papers, he would then have to to find out who the cheater is. He'd have to figure out which paper was written first. And if he has no additional information, that's a, that's an extremely difficult question to answer. Right. And that's why we call it the synoptic problem. It's not a problem to our faith. It is to some people, but it shouldn't be. But uh, it's a problem because it's really an unsolvable mystery. Which gospel was written first? That's the question that, that we're trying to solve. And uh, most scholars will tell you today that Mark was written first. And uh, the main reason for that is because Mark is the shortest, and it, ha- it has, like I said, very few stories that are unique to Mark. And so there's kind of this idea... And by the way, uh, in video two of my, of my series, which I just did, I discussed this in more detail, but it's, it's called the two-source theory. That, that's the most prevalent theory among scholars today. And it's the idea that Mark was written first, that Matthew and Luke both drew from Mark independently, but that they also drew from another source. And they call that source Q, which comes from the German word for source. It's, it's a hypothetical document. It's a document we have no physical evidence for. It's something that people have created out of the teachings which, can be, which are found in both Matthew and Luke. So in both Matthew and Luke, there's, there's a sizable chunk of material that's shared between only those two documents. And it mostly consists of Jesus' teachings, right? Mark is an action-packed gospel. There are very few times where it slows down. 
to, to deal with teachings of Jesus. Whereas Matthew and Luke are both, uh, they have a lot of teaching of Jesus. And a lot of that teaching parallels each other. Even though they're found in different places and organized differently, a lot of the teachings parallel one another. And so what has happened is that scholars over the years have taken those teachings and grouped them together and called them Q. Yeah. And, the, and the theory that they, uh, that they surmise, and it's not a theory I agree with, just to get that out of the way, uh, is that there's this document that was in existence before Matthew and Luke, in existence perhaps before Mark. We don't know what it, you know, <laughs> we don't know anything else about it, except that it, was, it mostly consisted of Jesus' teachings, and that therefore Matthew and Luke both drew from that source uh, in addition to drawing from Mark. Now, we can get into that but, uh, in, in a second, but do you guys have any th- thoughts on that? Well, I think it's important to point out this: the Q does not relate to QAnon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, we, we've been studying through the book of Mark here in Moultrie, uh, but Logan and I, we've been reading through the, um, through the Bible in a year, and we're in Luke now. We've gone through Matthew and Mark. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. You've got, you know, some of the short stories are shared. Some of the, you know, we may think, well, since Mark is basically like 90% of it is, is in right. Luke and, and Matthew, there's no need to really study Mark. Just study one right. of the other ones. But, um, you know, and that's, that's yeah, the fundamental problem I have with the two, with Mark and priority at all the idea that mark is written first that's the fundamental problem i have is that a lot of that opinion stems from a denigrating view of mark yeah it stems it stems from uh from a view that mark is unnecessary that it adds nothing new to the table that it has a less developed theology that there are scholars mm-hmm. who will tell you that and then there are even scholars who will say that mark is messy mm-hmm. or that it has yeah. errors that those are the skeptics that really go that yeah. far. But uh, there are a lot of uh, scholars who will tell you that Mark is messy. It, mm-hmm. The Greek isn't as sophisticated as Matthew or Luke. And that therefore they would say that when Matthew and Luke drew from Mark, they polished it up. They spotted mm-hmm. little details in the story that were embarrassing or wording that was redundant and they just cut it out. Yeah, right? that's the idea. So that's my main problem with the two source hypothesis or with any mark and priority hypothesis is that it, a lot of it is based upon a negative view of Mark. And mm-hmm. I think the proper study of Mark uh, shows that to underplay, underplay its mastery is a severe mistake, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, mark is an amazing book. We're studying through it as well at our congregation right now. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's an amazing book. And yeah. I think some of, some of those quote-unquote redundancies that they talk about can very easily be explained uh, by another uh, theory entirely. So if you would allow me to introduce uh, the other theory, that uh, one that I'm leaning toward more at the moment. Um, I want to give a disclaimer quickly. There are plenty of good Christians who believe in the two-source theory. There are plenty of good Christians that believe in mark and priority, right? We don't, we don't all have to agree on the, on this issue. Right. But, uh, a lot of <laughs> Luke, you, Logan, you disagree. Uh, no, no, you're good. <laughs> uh, 
I wish of, that I, I, and my, I, my disclaimer, I wish more people had that attitude about more things, but go ahead. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting is that this viewpoint, which almost all of scholarship agrees on now is very new. It's a very new viewpoint. Mm-hmm. It's not something we've believed until like the last hundred years. Right. And, <laughs> Immediately when you said new, I was like hundred years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty new. I mean, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, it's, it's new. It's, it's, we've had these scriptures right for 2000 years. And now we're talking about yeah. uh, only uh, the last hundred years, all scholars know the answer suddenly. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it bothers me that it's recency bias. Um, C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. I love that phrase. (laughs) Chronological snobbery. That's perfect. And it perfectly represents a lot of, uh, a lot of things, a lot of people in modern times, like scientists and, and biblical scholars as well. It's just this idea that we who live in modern times are smarter than everybody who came before. Therefore, our answers are right. Yep. Even if our answers go against hundreds and thou- like thousands, literally thousands of years of, of tradition, it doesn't matter. All that, they were simpletons. We're the smart ones. You know, it's, it's and I obviously, I'm painting with a broad brush. Uh, they, have, they have really good reasons for believing what they believe. Uh, but uh, I think it's, it's a huge mistake to ignore what's been taught before, especially with regards to the early church fathers. So the early church fathers, uh, we call them the, the patristic witness. Uh, there's, you know, fancy words for it. But these are, these are the first ever biblical scholars or first ever New Testament scholars, right? They, they lived in only a few generations after Jesus. We're talking about the years, you know, 150 A.D., to 300 AD. We're, we're talking about very recent uh, in terms of his, you know, looking at things through the historical lens. We're talking about pretty recently after these documents were written and recent a- after Jesus uh, did all the things he did. These are the very first biblical scholars. And every one of them agreed that Matthew was written first. Every one of them. And uh, they also, uh, many of them will tell you that Mark was written uh either last or second, but they'll tell you that they won't really get into the order of it that I've seen, but they will tell you that Mark is actually a collected documentation of a sermon or sermons given by the apostle Peter. Yeah. And this connection, it seems with Peter for sure. Yes. This is where it really kind of blew my mind and it changes the way you read Mark, because if you view it as a sermon, that needs to be listened to rather than just read, right? Um, I would highly recommend to everyone, go and listen to the Gospel of Mark. Listen to it in its entirety. It's about two hours. And it is, I think it really, something clicked for me when I heard it out loud rather than reading it. A lot of those unnecessary repetitions, right, that, that scholars point to and say are redundant, they make perfect sense if it's, if it's a sermon, right? Yeah. Because spoken language reads differently on the page than something that's meant to be read. I know when I write sermons, I'm sure it's the same uh, for you guys. Uh, Whenever I write a sermon, I'll add in repetition. Mm -hmm. Because I know that 
someone who's listening doesn't have the ability to just rewind time and hear what I said again, right? So I add the repetition in purposefully. So the idea here is that what the church fathers said matches perfectly the internal evidence. Wow. So if you would indulge me, I'd like to read just a couple of the things that the church fathers said. Um, by the way, I want to give a shout out to uh, this book. It's a very quick, easy read. It discusses uh, why four gospels, as you can see, but it really discusses the, uh, the theory that I'm bringing up right now, which is that Matthew was written first and then Luke. And then Mark was a sermon which used both math, both uh, Matthew and Luke. Okay, that's mm. the idea here, that Peter was giving a sermon in Rome. And uh, we know he was in Rome through First Peter, uh, his letter, uh, one of his letters. We also know Mark was with him in First Peter. We find that out. So the idea here is that Peter was giving a sermon in Rome or a series of sermons, and it was Mark's job to make sure that what was spoken got written down. And it was probably also Mark's job to organize it in such a way to make it a cohesive document. That's, that's a possibility. Uh, but this is, this is basically what many of the church fathers tell us. So I'd like to read just a couple of quotes from the church fathers. So again, this comes from the book, Why Four Gospels? Uh, David Allen Black, he, uh, he calls it the fourfold gospel theory. Uh, and he, he breaks it down really in a really uh, good way. It's not, it's not like it's, uh, he's the only one who thought this up, but it's a very good book if you want to get uh, a taste. So he, he documents the church fathers and what they say. So here's Irenaeus, uh, for, who lived from 130 to 200 AD. And in his writing, uh, I think uh, there's also, uh, Eusebius is, is involved here in this quote as well. Uh, so here's the quote. So Matthew brought out a written gospel among the Jews in their own style. <clears throat> when Peter and Paul were preaching the gospel at Rome and founding the church, but after their demise, Mark himself, the disciple and recorder of Peter also has also handed on to us in writing what had been proclaimed by Peter and Luke, the follower of Paul set forth in a book, the gospel that was proclaimed by him. Later, John, the disciple of the Lord, and the one who leaned against his chest also put out a gospel. And uh, let me read also from Clement of Alexandria, who again lived 150 to 215 AD. Um, he said, Mark, the follower of Peter, while Peter was publicly preaching the gospel at Rome in the presence of some of Caesar's knights and uttering many testimonies about Christ, on their asking him to let them have a record of the things that had been said wrote the gospel that is called the gospel of Mark from the things said by Peter, just as Luke is recognized as the pen that wrote the acts of the apostles. And this is an interesting little note that we don't have time to get into, but he says, and as the translator of the letter of Paul to the Hebrews. So in other uh. words, Clement of, Ale <laughs> Clement of, <laughs> yeah, Clement no, of Alexandria. I'm get Spencer on okay. Here. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> he, he thought of, uh, Hebrews is being written by Paul, but translated by Luke. That's Thank pretty you. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a paper on that at Freed. Spencer well, Shaw, if you're listening to this, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's good stuff. Oh. Yeah, I'll let you continue. 
Oh, sorry. It, it changes the way we view Mark, right? And it, it 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 fits the internal evidence, and you don't have to create some kind of hypothetical document that we have no evidence of, mm-hmm. right? In my opinion, that's that's the theory that makes the most sense to me right now, at least. Well, I, you know, I appreciate you laying like all the all every like all the theories out. So there's, you know, obviously with that there's any combination of possible, well, first, second, third, fourth. Um, but you know, there, there's so much evidence to one. And I think it is interesting the point you made about the recency bias. And I think that that's a problem with several topics when it comes to scripture. Um, right. Now I would say most of those are topics that are not going to affect anybody's salvation, at least as far as I know, authorship wise. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, what, what really is interesting to me is how, you know, this, I talked about that simple answer and I'm going to, I want to kind of lay that out um, and then see if you, if you have anything to say about that from there. And one of the things that you had mentioned, John, in talking our preparation, for this is like the audiences. So Matthew is very clearly like Matthew is a Jew written for Jews. You know, you you get the different lineage. Um, Luke is written by a Gentile. I'm a Gentile for Gentiles. Um, then, but and I've never heard the theory that Mark is a sermon of or sermons of Peter's. Uh, I think that fits right in there because then you get Mark, and then you get the the Gospel of Love with John, and it just they make sense. That makes so much sense. Um, and so, as far as audiences go and the different authors, um, you may y'all may have more to elaborate on that. But you know what what pl- what what does that play into this question? Well, what that's this is the whole reason I wanted to do the video series sure. um, because that's what you just said is kind of all is as as deep as we go generally right, right? and uh, like you said it's what we tell the kids and then we just move on right. uh, so I'm glad we we talked about the synoptic problem we talked about what makes them similar now we can actually delve into what makes them different exactly because that's the meat of all that's the really the meat of all of this that's the meat of my video series and uh I agree with you. It's all about audience. Okay. Uh, Matthew, like you said, a Jew writing to a Jewish audience. And uh, depending on where you date the gospels, mm-hmm. I would, I, I generally go for earlier dating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's evidence for it. And uh, again, this book, why four gospels, he breaks down what he believes were the occasions behind each, each gospel account. And I agree with him that Mark, uh, excuse me, that Matthew would have been written very early on while the church was still expanding in Jerusalem. And, you know, when we read the book of Acts, I think it's chapters one through 12 or so, uh, we see that great expansion in Jerusalem and it, the church is only being spread to the Jewish population at that time. And when we read through Acts, we think of it as like months, but in reality it was years. <laughs> and I think that's actually the perfect time for the gospel of Matthew to have been written. Uh, because when you look at Matthew, it has so many, not only is it, is it very Jewish in like in, in its content, it's very Jewish in its structure, right? Um, it has, uh, more old Testament quotations than any of the other gospel accounts. Uh, the whole, one of his, his whole point is proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised. He's a fulfillment of the Old Testament, right? Sure. You'll you'll find that uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, uh, or somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I came to fulfill the law, 
right? And and that idea just is expanded on through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, excuse me, Matthew. I keep doing that. Uh, but Matthew is it's in my uh, in my estimation, Matthew is in essence an apologetic, a defense of uh, Christianity to the Jews who were either persecuting Christianity or the Jews who were simply wondering, what is this all about, right? Why are you changing everything from, from our religion? Well, Matthew is the perfect answer to that. I think it's also why Matthew is the harshest gospel toward the Pharisees and the Sadducees and really any Jewish leadership. It's, it's extremely harsh yeah. when, you com- when you compare it to Matthew Luke. 23. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, some of those woes in Matthew 23, some of them, a couple of them are found in Luke, sprinkled throughout. But like only Matthew has this long section mm-hmm. where Jesus is just dealing a blow. And I, I, I kind of see that as a culminating event in Matthew where right. uh, there's been, it's been sprinkled throughout Matthew, this kind of harsh attitude toward the Jewish leadership. But it culminates in, in these, this pronouncement of woes, which is just, you know, very uh, scathing, right? Yeah, it's almost like a climax there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in that relationship with the Pharisees at that time, and I like you—you you, you pointed out the structure there. You know, at the very beginning, the very first chapter, you've got the the genealogy, right? And we right. have a genealogy in Luke, but it comes a little bit later, right? And you know, if we go back to the Old Testament, you know, genealogy comes first, then you get into you know the mm-hmm. story after that. Um, and, yeah, and and in my video series, I'll, I'll definitely go into detail on like the structure of Matthew as a whole. Um, I think the Bible Project video on Matthew does this really well, um, talking about the the discourses uh, of Matthew, where there are really five giant sermons in Matthew, kind of placed throughout with you know stuff before and stuff after, and uh, there many have pointed this out. And, uh, and I think it's accurate that, that this is pointing back to the Torah, the five books of Moses. And so it's just ev- even the structure, even how everything is organized is for a Jewish audience and showing them that Jesus is a fulfillment of the old law. But then we look at Luke very in a very, it's very different, right? Uh, Luke has, a, again, a lot of the same material. It's one of the synoptic gospels. But I, I think of Luke as, as you said, written to Greek audience probably a, an educated Greek audience. The Greeks really enjoyed uh, reason and philosophy and they were kind of the modern or the, the, you know, the ancestors of modern science and things like that. So that's, that's why in my opinion, Luke gets into the more of the historical details than Matthew or Mark, but more so than that, I think uh, you'll see as you look through Luke, there is an emphasis on the global implications. There's an emphasis on the universality of Jesus, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world, right? And um, I think of Luke as a proclamation that Jesus has come to turn the whole world upside down. I think that's what Luke is all about. And uh, and uh, while well, we can look at some of the details that kind of point to that. But if, if that's the case, then it would make sense that Luke was written later once the church started expanding into the Gentile audience. And we know that Luke uh, traveled with Paul on his missionary tr- journeys. So uh, one of the things that David Allen Black points out in, this, in his book is that he believes, 
if you think of it this way, that Matthew was written first when all the apostles were together in Jerusalem. Therefore, it has kind of the stamp of approval of all the apostles. Then you've got uh, 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 Paul traveling around. And uh, David Weinbach believes that Paul, when he was on his missionary journeys, had a, had a copy of the scroll of Matthew. Mm. In his letter of 1 Thessalonians, he seems to quote from Matthew. And we, we believe 1 Thessalonians was one of his earliest letters. So it, it's, that's just a little bit of uh, evidence for early dating of Matthew. But anyway, uh, it seems like this was a scroll that they would have had on hand. Uh, we know Matthew was written as the, in the perfect length for a scroll, for the, a scroll at that time, which I think is about 30 feet. I, I could be wrong. But uh, Luke is written about the same length, right? Luke's a little bit longer, but it's still just long enough to fit into a scroll. And so the idea is that they would have had this on hand as they were going on their missionary journeys. Uh, So we know that Luke traveled with Paul on those journeys. And so the idea is that perhaps Paul saw a need for the gospel to be told to a Gentile world. Right. And, and just real quick, the um, there's a lot of, you know, critical scholarship that says, Luke and Acts are, are really meant to be a yes. single work, uh, even though they're right. separated and you've got the very beginning of both books, the sort of this address to Theophilus, whoever that was, or <laughs> mm-hmm. if that was meant to be metaphorical or anything like that. Uh, it's this idea that they're really meant to be together. And so that would kind of put it a little bit later. Right. Um, yeah, sure. most scholars will agree that Luke was written later anyway. It's, it's Mark that they kind of uh, put really early. Yeah. But uh, in my opinion, they date most Gospels too late. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think uh, Luke probably, and again, this doesn't come from me. This comes from David Allen Black's book. Uh, but I think Luke was probably written uh, while Paul was in Caesarea Philippi mm-hmm. in prison. Uh, and that, and Luke had his chance at that point because we know he traveled with Luke down there, uh, with Paul down there. He had his chance at that point to interview people and to do some of that research he talks about in chapter one, verses one through five. So, um, and it's in my opinion, I mean, we see in Luke an emphasis on the outcast, on those who are lo- lesser, lower class citizens, right? Women and slaves, and and of course Gentiles. And I, it's in my opinion uh, that Luke probably interviewed either Mary or uh, some like someone close to Mary, uh, because when you look at the birth story of Jesus, mm-hmm. Luke seems very much to be Luke's account seems to be in from Mary's point of view, Mary's point of view, and then John oh, yeah. the Baptist, his family, their point of view, right? I think he went and interviewed the family, whereas yeah. uh, Matthew's account is more from Joseph's perspective. So it's just kind of an interesting little, uh, the you know, a l- interesting little tidbit about the differences between. Yeah, uh, you got things like the Magnificat, and you know, right, exactly, stuff like that. You, you got a, a lot more emphasis on on women and outcasts and Gentiles, those on the outskirts, in Luke. And again, I think it's it's that point that it's this is a global message. It's not just for the Jewish audience. Then we've got John, which we haven't talked about too much, uh, but most everybody agrees it was written much later, and I would agree with that. Um, but I, I think there is a point that should be noted about John. So if we think of it as the gospel of love, it's the gospel of believe, obviously. Uh, he says, I've written this so that you will believe. 
Um, when you look at John, when you look at kind of some of the things he adds in that are um, not only, obviously he has a lot of stories that are just in John, but even in the shared, the few shared stories like Jesus' death, there are little things he adds in, which in my opinion, give us clues as to what's going on. And we know that in first John, John's letter, and uh, I, I believe they were written by the same John, right? Uh, in first John, uh, he's dealing with kind of an early version of Gnosticism, right? Mm. Uh, which Gnosticism real quick, it's this, uh, it was this false teaching about Jesus uh, where some of the, some of the Gnostics were saying, well, the idea comes from the idea that all matter, all physical matter is bad and all spiritual matter is good. And it's a very Greek idea. And uh, they, they were saying, well, then Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh because matter is bad. And so they were saying, oh, Jesus was kind of like a spirit or, a cor- you know, a corporate corporeal figure. Uh, or they would say that Jesus, while he was dying on the cross, his body was like switched with something that looked like his body. Mm. Um, they were making up all these things to just get out of the idea that, that God would die <laughs> mm. and look at, for, look at the gospel of John. John is the only one at Jesus at the moment Jesus dies that talks about the spear going into Jesus side yeah. and the blood and the water coming out. And John makes a point to say this, the, the soldier who did that, he saw it and he testifies, right? He, he, uh, he was there. He will tell you. Right. And it's, it's this idea that I feel like he's adding that in for the, to kind of combat this false teaching of Gnosticism. So I think the difference between John and all the other gospel accounts is that John is written to an established church more so. And it's written to uh, Christians who need to hold fast to their, to the true teaching. And I think there's a lot of that in John as well. Yeah. Dealing with that Gnosticism you know, stand firm. There's people that are trying to, you know, pull you away from this, referring back to those Gnostics. Um, so certainly he was, he was combating it. Uh, right. And that makes a lot of sense with that. Yeah. He's telling them to keep on believing, right. Keep on believing what you heard from the beginning, which is what he says in John first John. Uh, but I think it's, he's saying the same thing in the gospel of John as well. Um, and then he's also, in a sense, supplementing the first three gospel accounts by adding in all of these other stories. It's only because of the Gospel of John that we know Jesus uh, worked his ministry for around three years, because uh, we can tell through the three Passovers that are uh, that are recorded in John. So um, the Synoptic Gospels they deal a lot more with Jesus' ministry in Galilee, whereas the Gospel of John deals with his work in Jerusalem a lot more. Um, but what's really cool about all of this is uh, what's, in my opinion, the coolest thing about all of this is that you can take the same story, like a story that's shared between all three gospel accounts or between just two of the gospel accounts, and they can be told or they, they can be teaching different theological points based on the context that surrounds yeah. them. And I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it, and I think that's the real answer to why. Why do we need four gospels? Because some of these stories are so profound that um, that the gospel writers felt it was more important to even some kind, sometimes rearrange the chronological order uh, so that we can get a greater theological point, right? Mm-hmm. To some of the, you know, the context really changes the way you view some of these stories. And I, I do have a uh, one of my favorite examples of this 
So if it's a, it's an account shared between Matthew and Luke, but there's definitely some differences we're going to notice. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew 22, in Matthew 22, Jesus tells the parable of the wedding feast. And I know I didn't, I didn't tell you about this beforehand, but would one of you guys be willing to read that for me? Um, verses 1 through 14. I don't know if you like my translation, but I like it. So there you go. <clears throat> Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, tell those who are invited, say, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they, pay no, but they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his own business. While the rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them, the king was enraged. He sent out his troops, killed those murderers and burned down their cities. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed for the wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be no, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many uh, are invited, but few are chosen. Okay. So just keep that, that parable in mind as I read Luke's version. Okay. okay. Oh, where's this coming from in Luke? This is in Luke 14 verses 12 through 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly for the streets and lane, excuse me, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Okay. So first of all, what do you think this parable is about? It's about the kingdom of heaven. About the kingdom of heaven. Good <laughs> <The> answer. <kingdom. laughs> it's yeah. about the, uh, the Jews rejecting Christ at first. Right. It's about the people who were invited in the first place, the Jews, 
rejecting Jesus. And the, you could also make, uh, you could also say that uh, there's a sense in which it's, it's Jewish leadership. It's Jewish, uh, you know, Jewish people of the first class. Right. Mm-hmm. And whereas it's the outcasts, the, those who are the sinners mm-hmm. and also Gentiles who are being invited into the, into the banquet that mm-hmm. uh, the others rejected the ones who should have known Jesus rejected him. And yet all these outcasts, they flock to him. And of course, Gentiles throughout the world uh, come to Jesus when, when in many cases, the Jews still reject Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea uh, it's this amazing idea, uh, you know, of the kingdom of God, right? It's a banquet, but, when you read those two stories back to back, I hope you notice some striking differences in how they uh, were told, right? In Matthew's account, it's very harsh. (laughs) It's very harsh toward those who rejected the banquet, right? And there's an element of that in Luke's account, but Luke's account seems much more interested or uh, in emphasizing the outcasts being brought in, right? And those on the hedges, the Gentile audience, right? So it seems to me that while these parables are the same, and Jesus probably repeated the parables, you know, over and over, uh, these parables are the same parable, but they're told to two different audiences. One Mm -hmm. is to the people who actually rejected Jesus, uh, and, and it's a harsh condemnation of them. And then the other is told to those who are now being invited out in the world. And they're saying, hey, come join us. So it's it's very different feeling between these two, uh, but it's the same parable, right? And so if we were to take all of the stories of, of, of the Gospels and cut them out of their books and try to put them together in chronological order and make what we think of as what we all wish we had, right? Uh, a lot of people wish they had this. is a fifth Gospel, which is all of it in chronological order, right? And what we do is we decide, okay, well you know, anything that's shared, we'll take the one that's the longest or we'll take, you know what I mean? What are we missing when we do that, right? We're yeah. missing out on some amazing theological points. And uh, and I think that's the answer to the question, why do we have four Gospels? Yeah. It's so that we can be taught more than one thing, right? Yeah. Jesus is more profound than can be documented in one book. And obviously... Uh, we could have had more Gospels, and that's an interesting discussion. But uh, at the end of John, what, is G- what does John say? He says, I, you know, all, all the books in the world couldn't, couldn't comprehend this, right? Yeah. But at least we're given four <laughs> rather than just one, right? And so we're given so much more depth, I think. Um, Sorry, I, I took over there. No, hey, no, it's you're perfect. Fine. I, it's been a good I, – I have learned a lot. And, uh, and that's, but that's, that's the point I wanted to make, um, about the, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's people out there who will not accept two plus two is four. Oh, okay, great. It's just not, that's not reality. And so I, I appreciate that because the people like you who, um, who can do, do that full time and who can study that full time and uh, Zach, who's been there, I've been there as well. You know, that's, I think that's our responsibility, um, because there are people out there who need answers. And uh, I think that God puts it in our heart to give them those answers. Let me just show you one thing. And uh, I don't know how it's going to show up on camera, but one of the things I've done to study this is I've embarked upon a very difficult journey, but I think it, I think it's worth it in the end. And that is I've highlighted uh, 
I, I bought these kind of these ESV journal Bibles. Uh, and this one is just uh, Mark. And I have one for each gospel. What I've done is I've highlighted everything uh, based on what, how they're shared between the synoptic gospels. So I color coded it so that Matt, Matthew's red, Mark is yellow and Luke is blue. Therefore, anything shared between Matthew and Mark is purple. Anything shared between Mark and Matthew is orange. Anything shared between Luke and Mark is green. And then anything shared between all three is brown. And it took me quite a while, but uh, I, I definitely, I went through. Notice how much yellow is in there. This is Mark, right? Mark may not share, may not have many stories that are unique to Mark, but there's so much that is, uh, sorry, there's so much here. You can see all that yellow, can't you? A little bit, faintly. It's faint. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Hopefully sorry. you can see. But anyway, there's so much in there that Mark adds that, that you know, I think from Peter's firsthand account, which, uh, which adds to the meaning and the depth of some of these stories. Mark's, mm-hmm. Mark's stories are usually longer uh, when you compare them to the others. Um, even though it has fewer stories. Anyway, what, uh, the last thing I'll say is that please look up the video series uh, on this subject. Uh, I've filmed two so far. The third one will hopefully come out soon. And uh, we're, uh, it's on Newland Street Church of Christ, uh, our YouTube channel. And they're called Why Four Gospels. That's what the series is called. Okay. And there will be a, a link uh, to that uh, in okay. the description. Took the words right out of my Great. mouth, Zach. Well, John, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, <clears throat> I wish we had three episodes to do uh, all this song. We could have done an episode on each gospel, really. But uh, you know, I appreciate your uh, your time. I appreciate uh, your your thoughts. You know, as of right now, and I think we've mentioned this before, but our guests do this out of the kindness and the love of their heart, um, their love for God and their love for Christ, and uh, I appreciate it. Um, you know, in the future, maybe we'll, we'll be able to send you a mug or something, but as of right now, <laughs> it's pro bono. So John, we appreciate you. Love you, brother. And, uh, let's pray as we close together. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the time that you've given to us to come here and, and talk about your gospels, the gospels of your son and everything that he has done for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that we don't ever look at your word and we just take it at face value, but we want to dive in deeper. We want to know you more. And I'm thankful for men like John and, and Zach who want to dive in more and want to know you better. Lord, I pray for us as we leave here. I pray for everybody who's heard this podcast today, that they've been edified and they've lifted you up. And Lord, I pray that you've been lifted up here today. It's in Christ's most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for watching us today or listening to us, however you're listening. Speaking of how you're listening, make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or on uh Spotify podcast. Also, all of our social media, Facebook and Instagram, is a pretty happening place. So check us out there. Also, check out Ministry League Network. Uh, We're partnered with them. Also, our Teespring shop. Uh, Please be sure to check these things out. Uh, Again, thanks for watching.